10 to 1, episode 117. Books 2019. Welcome to 10 to 1, the podcast where we make top 10 lists about everything. I'm Brian Kozer. And I'm Melissa Kozer. And again, as is our yearly tradition, here we're bringing you the books that we read last year, yeah. which I was thinking it was a pretty sorry year, but looking at my list, I only have one three and a half star book. Everything else is four and above. Hmm. Mine has, I think, eight five star and then a couple four and a half stars or three four and a half stars, something like that. But still didn't feel like a great year. Yeah. I had, I just barely had 10 that were worth putting on this list. Mm-hmm. Overall, it was not a good year. Yeah. I think we mentioned on the last episode, but I've read fewer books each year since 2016. So. Part of it's just a smaller pool to draw draw from. I expect Mm. we'll have a pretty solid list in 2020. Well, I mean, when you've read everything and there's still a little good stuff that's being put out these days, (laughs) that's why. I guess that's it. Okay, so before we really get into our books episode, I just wanted to say our previous episode was New Year's resolutions and we talked about all that we did last year. And I forgot to mention on that episode that I did a lot of work last year. Mm-hmm. I worked on uh, making, repainting my middle child's crib. So before it was just this boring brown color. And I repainted it a beautiful green and sunny yellow with flowers on it and... Uh, little butterflies and caterpillars, and it's mm-hmm. such a fun bed for her to sleep in now. Yep. Also, I painted and helped to build a toy kitchen for my kids and poured in lots of hours making that for, for them for Christmas. And then lastly, uh, I was working on a book that I've been trying to finish for a couple years now. And it's my longest book probably that I've ever read. And you're going to hear about it later on this episode. But those were three really big things that took up a lot of time last year. So lest you think that, uh, well, lest you condemn me too much for being such a slob and so lazy, I did do some work that was beneficial to my family. Anyway, on with books. Yeah, so quick reminder, these do not include rereads. These are our top books that we read for the first time this year. And uh, we'll probably just get into it and maybe wrap up with some some statistics at the end. But uh, I'll go ahead and get started with my number 10. Well, so one of mine is a reread, but it was for a podcast, if that's okay. I mean, did you read it for the first time in 2019 and then reread it again in 2019? You know, I think you're right. Yeah, Yeah, I forgot about that. I believe so. (laughs) That was so long ago. Okay, never mind. It was a pretty long year. They say that one of the reasons that years get shorter and shorter as you go through your life is because your mind tends to combine similar times together. So if you're not doing a bunch of new things, it's going to seem like 
just a blur. All 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 sorts of uh, things get combined into that that daily daily memory of the stuff that you just did every week. But uh, we did a bunch of different stuff, so maybe that makes the year feel a little bit longer. So my number ten is a nonfiction book, a theology book called Evangelical is Not Enough, and it was uh, I think I gave it four stars. Very interesting book. So the 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 thesis is that this uh, well, it's a guy that was a Anglican priest, I believe, and he had come from an evangelical background, and so he argues that uh, while evangelical the evangelical tradition is very good, and he commends it for a lot of good reasons, a lot of of good things uh, that we do, he says it's incomplete. And there are reasons that we should uh, do things like liturgy and praying set prayers. And uh, he goes through a bunch of different things. And uh, you can go read my my book review if you're interested in a summary. I summarize all the chapters. Uh, But it was interesting. Uh, Some of the things I thought were really strong points. So an example, he talks about uh, praying set prayers. Um and says, you know, we don't have a problem with praying or uh, singing set songs. Obviously, we don't make up songs on the fly as we sing them. At least I've, I've never done that. And so, uh, you know, that's a form of worship that's valid. It's not any less meaningful or doesn't have to be less meaningful just because you've, you've sung it previously because somebody else wrote the words. You can still uh, have that as a way to worship God and, and you can still mean the things that you're singing and um, in some ways, it's easier to to have something set like that because certainly for me, if I'm praying in public, I'm thinking about how other people are. I'm just thinking about other people, ninety percent, <laughs> and I'm thinking about God, ten percent. That's uh, interesting because you know I you're to some degree you're putting on a presentation. You know what I mean? You're pulling out all the fancy words for the sure. Prayer. Like I try not to. I try to be authentic, obviously, and and I think I pray what I mean, but it's awkward for me, and I think uh, you're trying to pray an acceptable prayer for everybody. Sure, yeah. sure. You're you have that in mind, I guess. Yeah. And so I'm not saying that it's wrong to do that. Obviously, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go that to that degree in the other direction and neither would would uh, Howard Thomas Howard but um you can pray set prayers and and mean them in and in some ways in some instances I think it's it's uh, better so that's just an example some of the things I thought uh were weaker just because he doesn't argue theology so much a lot of it is just very personal so things that means to him so he talks about Mary and the uh, not a worship, but a veneration of Mary that doesn't really resonate with me. Uh, and he doesn't have theological reasons per se for some of that more uh, personal arguments. And so, uh, but the whole thing was interesting. Definitely recommend it to um, to fellow evangelicals, people that have been brought up in that tradition. I think I might have recommended it to you for the 2020 reading list. I know we both, I don't know if we talked about this last episode, we both picked books to put on each other's list. This might have been one that I put on your list. I don't remember. But uh, it's a good one. It's my number 10, Evangelical is Not Enough, Worship of God in Liturgy and Sacrament. All right. 
Well, I uh, ranked my books according to how much I enjoyed them. Yeah. Uh, not necessarily according to their greatness. Yes. It is definitely a subjective list, as I will demonstrate a couple times later on. All right. So my number 10 is a book that others would say deserves a greater rating, a higher rating than what I gave it, which is three yep. and a half stars. Yep. But I rated it because of how I felt by the end of it. Mm-hmm. It's we are all completely beside ourselves. Uh, three and a half stars. Uh, it's a good story. Uh, I think this one is on my list for this year. Mm-hmm. It's just really depressing. It's about <laughs> this broken family uh, that used to be so happy together. And it goes through what tore them apart. Mm-hmm. And it's got a good plot twist. You want to go into this one blind. But it's just it's depressing. So that's why I gave it three and a half stars. But most people would probably give it four, even five stars. Mm-hmm. It's it's a good book. That's my number ten. We are all completely beside ourselves. All right. Uh, I next... think it's fiction, by the way. Y- yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's fiction. Cool. All right. I'll I will check that one out this year. My number nine is a Christopher Priest novel, and I've I've enjoyed the Christopher Priest. Books that I've read, I would include him on the list of, of favorite authors of mine. And this one is The Inverted World. This is one of his first published books, and it definitely feels early for him. If you're familiar with his style, it's a lot of mm, sort of dreamlike events to some degrees, paradoxes, uh, doublings. Uh, he likes... Uh, magicians are are a common common element in his story so uh he wrote uh the book that was adapted into the christopher pre uh christopher nolan movie um the prestige was one of his so that kind of uh loopy story that's uh you know got some interesting things anyway this one is a lot more straightforward uh but uh it's got some interesting sci-fi stuff um and of course it gets to um, gets to the end and there's still some things you're uncertain about. So if you don't like that, I guess uh, you might not be a big fan of Christopher Priest. I'm, I'm not really giving a, a plot summary or synopsis because you shouldn't really know about his books going into them. You should just kind of experience them. And so I'll just say, uh, you know, if you like sci-fi, this one is, I think, sci-fi from the 70s. So you, you're going to get that, uh, that kind of era of sci-fi. Uh, did. It's really good. It's probably my third favorite of the three books that I've read of his. But still good. Four and a half stars. The Inverted World by Christopher Priest. Okay. My number nine is a book that I went, I read with the ladies of my church. Uh, we were starting to do, not Bible studies, but like little get-togethers where we'd read through a self-help book and... It was good times. We'd mm-hmm. get together in a coffee shop. It's called Rocking Ordinary, Holding It Together with Extraordinary Grace. And it's about a stay-at-home mom who had to work through the issues of feeling like, am I, am I making a difference in life? And then other issues like uh, she came from a broken home and uh, dealing with that. And so it was, it was, it was good. Um, I gave it four stars. It had 
it had a fair bit of stuff that I couldn't relate to. I, I mm. didn't come from a broken home. My mm-hmm, parents mm-hmm. are still happily married and uh my I haven't really had deaths in the family or uh you know, great tragedies in my life or, you know, somebody a sibling or close family friend going off into dreadful sin or something. Mm-hmm. So uh, there were things like that that I couldn't really relate to, and I'm glad I couldn't. I don't, I mean, nobody wants to go through tough times if they can help it, uh, but it was it was still good. Um, if I ever do go through tough times, it'll be a good reference book, and I have a friend that I loaned the book to, and uh, hopefully it's helping her. So if, uh, if you're a stay-at-home mom or if you've uh, had some... Tough times in your life, then uh, check out this book, Rocking Ordinary, hmm. Holding It Together with Extraordinary, Extraordinary Grace by Lee Ann Garfias. All right. I'm going to get into a few of the classics that I read. So now I'm going to go ahead and insert a book that I did not finish uh, because it's a collection of plays, uh, four plays by Aristophanes. I was going to read all four and I ended up just reading the first two and then not. Uh, technically not finishing uh, the book. So this was, I guess, the least favorite of the classics that I read. And so Aristophanes is a is supposed to be one of the best uh, comedy writers of uh, the ancient Greeks. And I guess com- obviously comedy is subjective. I just didn't really find it funny. Found it mostly pretty empty as far as themes uh, go, uh, and as opposed to the other other Greek literature I read. So I guess if I'm going to read something for fun, it's not going to be um, a few thousand year old Greek plays. So, um, I mean, if you like fart jokes, got some fart <laughs> jokes in the frogs. Uh, the birds is, is the better of the two that I read. It has sort of a Dr. Seuss feel to it with the, the meter. But uh, again, not really my thing. Uh, so, uh, that was one I didn't finish. Uh, one that I did, and uh, another Greek play was Medea by Euripides, and this is, I guess, my uh, so my second least favorite of the of the plays that I read, um, but uh, very poetic, and um, yeah, I <laughs> it was, it was uh, not a story, not a not a fun story, I guess. So it's, uh, you're probably not familiar with it. It's, um, Jason, the, the leader of the Argonauts marries, um, Medea, a sorceress and has two children. And then he abandons her and then she gets revenge. And, um, I believe she kills the children. But it was a little while ago that I read the book, so I don't. Sounds like this is right up your exactly. alley with all the grim fairy tales yeah. that you're reading to my kids. Yeah, definitely, definitely that kind of a fairy tale. But yeah, it was fine. Uh, I mean, I'm I still give these five stars because if if you write something that lasts two thousand years, I feel like you've earned five stars. But not my favorite of the of the Greek plays. I definitely like Sophocles and and Aeschylus better. So that is my number eight, Medea. By Euripides, which uh, also was the shortest book that I read this year. 59 pages. All right. My number eight is Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children. Oh, I forgot you read this. Ransom Riggs. 
Yeah, I forget where I picked this up. Maybe it was at a book sale. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a nice short book, and uh, the premise behind the story is the author uh, likes to go through old photo books, like mm-hmm. at a flea market, and uh, there are random pictures that will really intrigue him, just like some weird, awkward ones, and sometimes creepy ones, maybe that aren't meant to be so, but they there's something just a little off about them. Mm-hmm. And so he started collecting these and crafted a story around them. And I think that's <laughs> kind of a cool idea. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought it was a pretty good story. So four stars for it. Good job. I felt that was a, a pretty original thing to do. Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children. Yeah, that is cool. All right, uh, continuing with classics, my number seven is... Uh, Plato's five uh, five dialogues by Plato, Euthyphro, Apology, Crito, Meno, and Phaedo, and uh, I didn't think it was as good as The Republic, which was a book I read a couple years ago, but there were some interesting discussions about the soul, so five stars, good job, Plato. That's my number seven. All right, my number seven is a book by Orson Scott Card. It's Ooh. called Enchantment, and I gave it four stars. Okay. So it's the tale of Sleeping Beauty. Uh, mm-hmm. It's told with kind of a Russian and Jewish folklore and culture and mythology all woven around our notions of Sleeping Beauty. And so that was pretty cool. I really enjoyed the first half of this book. I kind of felt like the second half where it just got more into like the action of the story that was where it was a little disappointing. Not not because it was boring, but I was just having so much fun uh, reading ab- about you know these different cultures and and their mythologies and stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess I'm all grown up now. <laughs> Younger me would have been all about the action and bored with the beginning, but I liked. I liked the the first half of this. Anyway, though, all that to say, it's a pretty good book. Uh, it's four stars. Uh, if you like the story of, of Sleeping Beauty and you want kind of a, a more unique twist on it, I'd say go check this out. Enchantment by Orson Scott Card. All right. I'm going to have one more Greek play right in here. And this one is by Aeschylus. Prometheus Bound. Oh, before I get to that, uh, I was just going to say that uh, I, I forgot you read this one as well. I'd, I probably read as much Orson Scott Card as anyone in high school, or I, I should say of, of the authors that I read in high school, probably as much different books by, as many different books by Orson Scott Card as any. So um, I don't know why I decided to say that, but there you go. <laughs> Orson Scott Card. I know who he is. So last Greek play for me, number f- six, Prometheus Bound by Aeschylus. And the uh, my, my one-sentence review was, Even the gods are powerless against fate. This is about Prometheus, who I forget. I, I'm still not exactly clear on who's a god, who's a titan, who is half-human, half-god, hero. Uh, but I think Prometheus was a god, certainly a son of... Uh, probably another son of Zeus, like most of them seem to be. And he stole fire and took it to man. Yay. Hooray. Thanks, 
Thanks, Prometheus. And then gets chained to a giant rock for his troubles. And so that's Prometheus bound. So tied to a rock the whole play. There's people come talk to him. And then I think there's a lost play that was Prometheus uh, Prometheus unbound, I assume. That, uh, uh, what's his name? Shelley. Percy Bysshe Shelley wrote later. It was originally written by Aeschylus and then lost. And then Shelley decided he wanted to go write it. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, so. Uh, but anyway, it was good. Here's some of my favorite quotes from it that I wrote down. Beware lest you should need your pity. Hmm. And in these few words, learn briefly my whole tale. Prometheus founded all the arts of man by giving them fire. I guess that, that jump-started science. Yeah. And then, I speak what shall be, likewise what I desire. And then here were some of my f- my favorite phrases that were in there. Uh, I think my favorite was starry curdled night. Oh, that was very poetic. And star neighboring peaks. I like that one. Yeah, some some tall mountains. And then out bittering bitterness. Yeah. I liked it as well. So uh, yeah, this was my favorite of the plays. Number six, Prometheus Bound by Aeschylus. All right, my number six. Was the fifth season, and All we right, did a wow. whole episode on that with yeah. Seth Heasley. You can go back and check that out, so I'm not going to belabor this too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess my little blurb for it here on our podcast is, uh, at first, first reading, I did not really care for this book, <laughs> but second time through, I thought it was pretty brilliant. I really enjoyed it. And it's a four-star book. So that is The Fifth Season yeah. by N.K. Jemison. That's really interesting. I have it on my list. I I should get to that sometime this year. Yeah, that way you can finally listen we'll to that episode. That's right. I have not listened to that one yet. All right, my number five. And, you know, we go from a few Greek works to my number five. And like you were saying... This is not an objective list. Subjective. So this is not a five-star book. Uh, It's not a four-star book. It's not a three-star book, a two-star book. It's a one-star book. But it's my favorite one-star book that I've ever read. It is the most popular Goodreads review I've ever written. Um, (laughs) I dare say that I can call myself the world's expert on this book for the amount of time. <laughs> I, I might put it the most time I've ever put into a Goodreads review in this book. I, it, it was so long. Ridiculous. It filled, it got too long to put in the review and I had to finish it in a comment on the review on Goodreads. Um, oh did dear. I say that it's not only my most popular review, it's also the most popular review for this book on Goodreads, which really isn't actually saying that much because only 44 people have read this book on Goodreads. Uh, it was definitely my least popular book I read this year. Trucking Through Time by Charles E. Harris. Read this for the Bad Book Club podcast that we love. 372 pages, we'll never get back. And this is my favorite of the 10 books that they've read. It's so awful, but as I say in my review, sometimes a book is so awful, it just completes the circle, the quality circle, and, and becomes good. And uh, this one is so bad, it it goes right through good uh it's it, you know the bad circles round into good and then keeps going back into bad it's uh it's the worst thing i've ever loved i will say for sure 
and uh, just go read my review. There's just so many things that were so fun. Um, uh, catchphrases. Uh, you still to, quote from this book. I, I quote from it so much. I have you the book a in, my, in my desk drawer at work. I have a t-shirt about it. I have a, uh, the book is in my desk drawer at work, and I've, I've shared it with multiple people at work. And um, I just love that uh, the truckers are described as, so it's two truckers that travel through time and, and help some Indians. That's basically the plot. But so many ridiculous things. Uh, the author says that they're so different, but there's dozen, a dozen ways throughout the book you find out that they're exactly the same. They always agree with each other. Uh, they, they're they very uh, modern in the, in the way that they say that... Uh, you know the the white man is evil and and the Indian is good. Even as the the Indians are are putting doing horrible putting things. a guy in a torture pole and and doing a lot of uh, unsavory stuff that I won't uh, go into on this podcast before they kill him. And oh man, there's there it's time travel, but the author had no idea what different time things happen. So they're you know just based on different things that happen, it has to be at this certain point in the 1800s, but then there's something that wasn't in place until the 1900s. I think he mentions the Census Bureau, which didn't happen until 1904. And so there's there's all those things that don't make any sense. There's plot things that don't make any sense. So many hilarious things. It's just great. It's just great. Uh, it's a one-star book, but it's my number five. Trucking Through Time. Oh, my dear. I mean, I have a feeling I'm going to be hearing about this book. Probably. For many years to come, yet. Yeah, I don't. I'll probably never reread it, but I. It you don't will, have to. I will to. always keep it on you my shelf. You have so much forever. memorized from that. That's fair. I have a quote from it written on my whiteboard at work, actually. Which different, one? but not indifferent. Oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> All right, my number. What are we on? Five. Yep. All right. Yeah, my number five is Good Omens, written. Co-written by Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett. Yeah. Full title is Good Omens, The Nice and Accurate Prophecies of Agnes Nutter Witch. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, if you don't like to have your religion poked fun at, don't read this book. Just gonna yeah, if put that if out there Christian for you. And don't like that. Yep. Um, because this is definitely poking fun at the Book of Revelation and mm-hmm. all that happens in it. Right. But. If you can realize, it's just a goofy story that people, these two guys spun up together and they were just like bouncing off each other and and playing, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, just writing whatever they thought would be funny, then you can enjoy it. Uh, In fact, they made a TV show about it Mm -hmm. that I really enjoyed. I thought it was better than the book. I (laughs) gave the book four stars. I loved the TV show. (laughs) Uh, I think they nailed the casting in -hmm. the movie. And, you know, if you can get good actors that, I mean, not the movie, the the show. Yeah. If you can get good actors, that's half the battle won. Of course, after that, you still need good dialogue and good plot. And that was provided by the book. And they stayed pretty close to the book. And so, way to go TV show. Mm -hmm. Anyway, that was my number five, Good Omens. I think you'll enjoy it if you can just remember that <laughs> it's just a silly book. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good book. I 
I don't know, it's probably in high school that I read this one. And I mean, it's, I don't think it's as good as most of the Neil Gaiman books or Terry Pratchett books that I've read. No, I agree with that. So in comparison, maybe not as good, but as a book solo on its its own merits. Yeah, yeah. Good book. All right. My number four, back to respectable books. And this is my favorite of the Greek classics that I read. Also probably the toughest and definitely the one that I just barely finished by the end of the year. The Nicomachean Ethics by Aristotle. And, uh, yeah, dense read, uh, tougher to read than, than Plato. And it helped, I started off writing some summaries of the different sections and, or, uh, at least of the first, I think I just did it for the first of the five book divisions. So the first several chapters sort of, uh, and that helped, but I stopped doing that to finish on time. So that slowed me down, of course, but a lot of really excellent stuff. And here, here are a couple examples. Uh, this is the one that's that I've I've thought about the most since reading it, and uh, it was this argument: the courageous man does not do the courageous man does not do courageous acts because he is courageous. Rather, the man who does courageous acts becomes courageous. So that idea that you become virtuous. Uh, so he uses courage as an example, but he applies it in other different ways. So the the idea that you gain virtue and you can become virtuous by doing those actions, not just by you know sitting around and thinking about it or reading the right books or associating yourself with, you know, you can't become courageous by sitting in an armchair and mm-hmm. and reading books about it or or what have you. So uh, I thought that was really interesting. Uh, maybe kind of an obvious statement, but something I hadn't maybe thought about in that way before. So then uh, one of his follow-up arguments is that because men become just by doing just acts, we should legislate morality. So we should make laws to force people to do right things because they will then, in doing those right things, become better people. So I don't know if I necessarily agree with that, but it's definitely something that... uh, that I'm pondering. I think that's a well, very, very interesting. They've made laws that I guess you can still choose to go over the speed limit. You're not forced to. Yeah, I guess it's more so. I, I don't know which one I would pick in, in specific, but there's always that kind of push, push and pull between how much freedom should you give people, especially if they're not harming other people. Uh, so I don't know drug laws, I guess would be one, or marijuana laws. So should you allow people to take drugs if it's not going to hurt anyone other than themselves because that gives them more freedom to make their own choices? Or should you force them, you know, as much as you can, of course, by passing laws and, and enforcing laws, force them to not, and in doing so, make people more virtuous by yeah by taking away that freedom yeah but you can't do that though because uh people will rebel for one if some you, people will some yeah. people won't i mean you might be right well, i'm just i think it's very interesting it is, i think it's and deserves some it's thought. interesting because kind of as parents you know you're sort of 
doing that, you have no, you don't have a choice to, <laughs> to do wrong. You, you, mm -hmm. we're forcing our children to do what's right. Yep. That's interesting. Yeah. So stuff like that, uh, that I've definitely thought about. He has some, some other things. So I'll just point out a couple, uh, that I, that I applied in kind of funny ways. So here's one on why Tom Brady is a better quarterback than Aaron Rodgers. At the Olympic Games, it is not the fastest and strongest who receive the crown, but those who contend. So in life, too, the winners are those who not only have all the excellences, but manifest these indeed. So you don't give the award to the fastest person. You give the award to the person who wins the race. Who? Not necessarily. I guess the or fastest say, person might fall down. And Yeah, so in the NFL example, Aaron Rodgers is a very talented quarterback and, you know, Stronger arm, maybe he's faster, maybe he's smarter, but he has not done as much, so he is not as great, is okay. the argument. Or uh, there's another one. Here is, here is uh, Aristotle on popcorn movies. When anything gives us intense delight, we cannot do anything else at all. And when we do a second thing, we do not very much care about the first. And so people who eat sweetmeats in the theater... Do this most of all when the actors are bad. So there you go. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, those were just a couple kind of silly ones. But it was a really good book. A lot of uh, dull parts in, this, in the middle, for sure. But some very interesting things to think about. So that's why I put this one as my number four overall, The Nicomachean Ethics by Aristotle. All right. Well... On to my number four. Mm -hmm. It's The Blade Itself by Joe oh, Abercrombie. Nice. It was four stars. Mm -hmm. Four and a half stars, actually. I thought this was a really good book. Uh, not a lot happens in it, but you don't mind that because it's so interesting. The characters are so well fleshed out. Mm -hmm. uh, you can... You can sympathize with even the, what we'd say, what we call the evil ones. And uh, this is, I really like this. Uh, hmm. I think most of this first book, it's a part of a series, okay. the first yeah. law series. And most of this book was, it felt like it was set up and world building for the next books in the series. And that's why not very much happened. But it was okay. so good. Hmm. So interesting. Each character is so so vivid. Mm -hmm. hmm. And I finished this all the way back in July. And a lot of the a lot of the other books uh that I finished earlier before Penny was born. Yeah. Um I'm I'm kinda you know, I remember a few things, some highlights, the mountaintops, mm -hmm. but not too much more. Uh, I remember a lot from the blade itself, and I think that's a mark of just how well written this book is. Nice. So four and a half stars, the blade itself. Go check it out. So is this one that I read a book already this year that might fall into this category? One of those books where you rate it highly, but maybe it goes up or down depending on what future books in the series do. So like you're saying, this is all set up if the next ones just really knock it out of the park. Do you go back and look at the setup and say, okay, he really needed the setup and he followed through, so it's five stars. If the next one, or the next one is, is just as good as not this, good at then... all, the setup was, was not 
uh, Ah, uh, don't didn't uh, do anything. Just an, as an example, does it go down to four stars? So I I've read uh, yeah a book um, this year that's sort of hmm. I think I gave it four and a half stars, and it's sort of well could go up to five, could go down to four, probably depending on on how he continues the series. It is a good book just by itself, but yeah, it it might be that okay. Just depending curious. on how the, yeah. the sequel is, I'm sure. I'm but, sure the rest are great. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. But even if the the second one is not as good, mm-hmm. this was still pretty good, and and you could kind of, you know, you could stop there, I guess, and and imagine on your own what what happens. Sure. But you probably couldn't actually, because there's so much. Like you, you really feel like the story needs to continue. So. All right. Well, we've got a couple. Audible credits if you want to pick this one up as a... Yeah, I would. The sequel as an audiobook. I will. All right. I don't think I'm going to get to that one this year, but I will get to it. Yeah, I don't know if I'll get to the sequel this year, but Mm. I will add it to my list. Cool. All right. And that was The Blade itself. Mm -hmm. Number four. Number four. My number three is a book that I thought about quitting a quarter of the way through. Uh, because the first third is the first third about of the book is interesting, but really oppressive. Uh, it's just uh, you just hear about this whole city is dirty and nasty, and it's all set up. There's not a whole lot of plot that goes on beginning of the third. But then about a third of the way, there's this incident that happens that drives the rest of the book forward, and from that point on, it's a pretty pretty gripping adventure. Uh, this is a book called Perdido Street Station by China Mieville. China Myville? Mieville? Mieville? I looked it up and I don't remember how you pronounce his last name. But uh, it's one of those well-written, unique fantasy uh, settings that I really enjoy these days. I don't uh, enjoy just the uh, Tolkien ripoff setting so much anymore the generic fantasy so for example i really liked jonathan strange and mr norrell from last year and i would put this into that category uh, this one's sort of a steampunk victorian london but there's also a lot of other creatures uh all all different sort of creatures like uh, there's some water people and there's some bird people and there's some bug people and some other people and so uh it's well written but the uh the author is definitely very knowledgeable about english so it's definitely one you would have to have a dictionary uh, or if it's uh, if it's an ebook where you can just tap on it and, and see what the definition of the word is um i don't think i would i don't think you would like it because there are some pretty horrific things that happen it's Definitely a sci-fi, fantasy, horror. I mean, but I guess you are reading a lot of horror this year. Who knows? <laughs> um, but I think you would probably enjoy the plot of this one. Um, so maybe I'll, I'll kind of tell you the story of it sometime rather than having you read through it. But in general, if you like sort of uh, dark, uh, gritty, horror, sci-fi, fantasy, then you might be interested in this one. Uh, it was nominated for a Hugo Award, I saw. It was the same year that American Gods by Neil Gaiman 
won the Hugo. So I'm actually going to be rereading American Gods this year. It'll be interesting to see if I like that one more than I did in high school. As it stands right now, just from my memory, I think I like this book a little bit better. So that's four and a half stars for Perdido Street Station. Some really interesting fantasy stuff. Not super deep, but definitely some some very, very cool things that happen and some very sad things that happen. And uh, yeah, it's it's a good book. I'll definitely check out some more from Miaville. Miaville at some point. That's Perdido Street Station, my number three. Well, if you don't think I'll enjoy uh, reading it, I certainly would enjoy listening to you tell the story of it. I liked it when you did that with Seven Eves. Mm-hmm. All right. My number three is I have two five star books on my list, and this is one of them. It's yeah. The Food Lab. Nice. That is the book that I spent, I've been trying yeah. to read it for at least two years now. Yeah. Let's see. I started, yeah, I started in 2017 at the beginning of that year. It's a big book. And. That was the year that I was like, okay, I'm going to read it this year. And then again in 2018, okay, I'm going to read it this year. 2019, I finally <laughs> buckled down and decided to do it. And the reason for that is it's such a cool book that I decided I was going to try and teach a class with it um, for our homeschool co-op at our church. this Starting this coming Wednesday, actually. So that'll be an exciting adventure. <laughs> I'm neither a scientist nor a teacher, but I'll be teaching science about food. Well, at least you're a cook. I am a cook. A chef. So there's that. <laughs> but yes, this is The Food Lab, Better Home Cooking Through Science by J. Kenji Lopez-Alt. And uh, Kenji Lopez is a... Uh, Well, he became a scientist to please his parents and then discovered that what he really loves is cooking. He likes science, but he doesn't want to do all the publishing of journals and stuff. So he started working in restaurants, flipping burgers, and started wondering, well, why do we do, why do we cook the food this way? And is that really necessary? And how does, how does it cook through this? And so he started applying his scientific mind to it. And discovered that there's ways to improve on the cooking methods mm. by applying science. And uh, it was so interesting to read and, and get uh, different notions debunked and uh, find out the why behind how it all works. And that way you can uh, take some of the guesswork out of the kitchen. Mm-hmm. So that's that was really cool, and and hopefully I can pass on some neat tricks as a result to younger minds. Uh, I think if you are serious about cooking, you should read this book. Uh, it's it's one of those books that it doesn't read like a textbook. It doesn't read like a cookbook. It's it's very interesting to read. Uh, it's got a lot of recipes in it that look really good. Uh, because he's uh, he's not just trying to see what's the best way to cook something uh, for, you know, to get it out there as quickly as possible, but also what's the tastiest way to do it. So sometimes he will sacrifice ease of cooking in order to get the tastiest way. 
And then other times he'll say, okay, so there's the long way to do it. That's going to get you the absolute best flavor. But here's a shorter mm-hmm. way that's going to do it, you know, in a quarter of the time that the the first way will do it. Yeah. And, you know, with the first recipe, you'll get a 99% uh, on your flavor scale. And this one, you'll get an 80% scale, 80%. But it's still, right. it's going to be a quarter of the time. Right, right. So I really appreciate that, that mm-hmm. uh, he, t- he shows you both ways to do it. So uh, this was just, it was a great read. I think anyone who likes to cook ought to get this book and read it. If you have kids, it's a, it's a good read. Uh, there's a lot of recipes out on the web. Like I, I'm often looking on the web for recipes and, and get an idea of, you know, what to, what's something new that I can cook for dinner. And as mm-hmm. a result of reading this book, uh, I've, been better able to spot a bad recipe hmm. uh, and a poorly written one. And I can see, okay, this one, if I do it the way this recipe says, uh, my food is going to end up being overcooked and dry and tough. Hmm. And so let me apply some of nice. the tricks I learned through this book, and I'll end up with perfectly cooked meat that's still really juicy and tender. Mm-hmm. That's my number three, The Food Lab. Nice. Yeah, and it's, I mean, you could use it as a reference book and just pick out sections you're interested in. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you don't have to in. read the whole thing. Right, right, right. So, yeah, very good. All right, number two for me, you just mentioned it, Seven Eves by Neil Stevenson. <laughs> and uh, it's a typical Neil Stevenson book. It starts off with a very interesting premise and then just goes in some some really fascinating directions. So the setup for this one is, I think it's at the end of the first chapter, the moon explodes. And so people on earth have to kind of figure out, all right, what is going to happen? What does this mean? How are we going to deal with it? And it just goes off in some, some pretty neat, interesting directions from there. Uh, the first third of the book is fine. Um, but it's necessary setup. The second two thirds I really enjoyed. So it's funny, similar to Perdido Street Station in that way as well. So this is um, currently, I think, my second favorite Neil Stevenson book. I'm going to reread Cryptonomicon this year and also read Snow Crash for the first time. So we'll see if that if that holds as my second favorite. But yeah, it's, uh, you know, if you like science fiction, if you like big ideas, if you don't mind characters that are um, not necessarily really fleshed out, but that's kind of because there's a huge plot and there's a hundred characters um, on a very this is this book definitely works on an epic scale that a lot of books don't. So, would you like to see a, a TV show about this? I heard they were working on one, actually. I think it could work as a TV show, especially because the different thirds of the book are pretty distinct stories. So I could definitely see like a three season or more show do that pretty well. Um, I don't know. I'd, I, I'd like someone to try. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> 
I did really enjoy you telling me about yeah. this. Uh, what was it? We were on our road trip, I think, of the summer. And I think so. Yep. You spent like two or three hours just telling me about <laughs> the the overarching story of it. That was a really good time. That was a fond memory <laughs> okay. for me. Yeah, so maybe we can do that with, with Purdue Street Station. I think you wouldn't necessarily enjoy reading Seven Eves for... All the detail? Yeah, some of the detail was pretty dry, and it's just really long. Purdue Street Station, I think you wouldn't enjoy from some of the uh, some of the things that happened to the people. And, uh, yeah, some stuff like that. Some language. There's definitely some more more R-rated language in Perdido Street Station. So we, uh, we'll see. I think, I think that one might be a good one for me to go through the plot with you as well. Okay. So anyway, that was my number two, Seven Eves by Neil Stevenson. All right. My number two was a Christmas gift from you last year. You gave me Astro City volumes nine through 12. Uh-huh. And so I read those right at the beginning of the year. And really enjoyed it. Uh, Volumes 9 and 10 were 5 stars. 11 and 12 were 4 stars. And so this is 4.5 stars for all four books combined. And, uh, oh boy, I love this this comic book series. Uh, I'll go through each each volume real quick. Uh, Volume 9 introduces a character called The Broken Man. And it talks about how all the previous books are connected <laughs> in some way. Okay. And yeah, so that was super, super cool and exciting. Uh, volume 10 had, it was the deepening of, a broadening of the character of Winged Victory, which is kind of the Wonder Woman mm-hmm. character. Yeah. Uh, that was pretty interesting. Uh, and it had some the reintroduction of the confessor, and that was pretty cool. Hmm. And then I never got around to writing down a review for volumes eleven and twelve, actually. Hmm. Okay. Um, but those were good too. Uh, I enjoyed them. I think they were. They didn't like each story was good and enjoyable, but there wasn't as much that really stood out to me as this is something crazy unique. Mm-hmm. But still love the series even on the even when it's quote unquote mediocre, it's still so good. Mm-hmm. My number 2 Astro City volumes 9 through 12. Nice. Yeah, I think just because of the book goal that we're doing, I will put that off another year and get to that next year but i would like to to read through all of those all right my number one and i think if you looked at a list of of books you could easily guess which one was, was my favorite it's the terror by dan simmons oh yeah and i've read three yes three dan simmons books now all have been five stars so i i'm i'm really uh pumped up on dan simmons right now <laughs> i'm i think i'm gonna read ilium by him this year which is like a sci-fi iliad retelling hmm. so uh um i'm looking forward to that one and maybe the the third book in the hyperion series as well and so yeah just really really big fan of him he has the sort of left brain and right brain in quotes uh 
of combo of, you know, he's got a really good attention to detail. He obviously does a lot of research and he puts a lot of, uh, in, in this book, he puts a lot of, um, I'm sure a historical detail definitely feels very real. Of That's the, based on real events. Right. The Frank, uh, Franklin's lost expedition to find the Northwest Passage. And I think all of the names are actual names of the characters and the, the positions that they held. Obviously, it's fictionalized dialogue and, and uh, events. And there's some supernatural uh, type stuff that might come up. And uh, But then he also has a... I think he's a literature professor at some college in Colorado, maybe. Hmm. And so he's, he obviously has a really deep knowledge of, of literature and religion. And those are really big parts of this book as well. Um, and then it's just, you know, it's just a fun, maybe fun's not the right word, but it's a really good story. It's a gripping story. It's a very gripping story. And uh, it's a very masculine story. Obviously, the setting is... Uh, men in the British Navy that are on this uh, ship or on these couple of ships trying to get through the Northwest Passage and they go through a lot of uh, suffering and um, so there's there's just some really interesting uh, looks at at heroism and survival and um, yeah uh, he in the so let me contrast this with uh, trucking through time, something that's probably never been done <laughs> in human history. Um, <laughs> but trucking through time was a very ham-fisted attempt to say, oh, you know, the uh, the white man was evil. The Indian is the most peaceful people we've ever known. And uh, this, <laughs> in contrast, is... A look back, obviously, from modern times, from a modern perspective, looking back at British society at the time, Inuit society at the time, uh, but he doesn't idealize or or excuse or politicize any of it. There's, um, there's good and bad done by both, and there might be uh, certain parts of their, of both societies that were um, commendable or, or not, so... Um, yeah, I like this better than Fall of Hyperion. Not quite as good as Hyperion, but all five stars. Great book, The Terror. And you listened to it on audiobook, right? I did. A very Who good was, audiobook. Who uh, the narrator? Because it was a good uh, narrator. I'll look it up while you talk about your, your number one. All right, my number one. I finally read a classic it's by Mark Twain. It's The Innocence Abroad. Uh, I yeah. read this at just the right time. It was, I just had Penny and I was in the hospital recovering and the hours were long and I felt, uh, felt really kind of lonely because, like, usually after. Uh, after recovering from childbirth, I'm so exhausted, and I just sleep the days and nights away. Mm-hmm. You know, they w- they bring the baby in every two hours, and I feed <laughs> the baby, and okay, uh, I'm exhausted again, and so I go back to sleep and get woken up by a nurse poking and prodding me and making sure my blood pressure's okay, or it's time to feed the baby again, or whatever. So I just spend my time eating and sleeping. <laughs> well, this time, for whatever reason... I could not sleep. Uh, I I spent I was 
unable to sleep most of the time I was in the hospital. Mm. So that made for some very long hours. And then uh, with the first, with your first baby, every everybody comes to visit you. By the time you've had a third one, almost nobody comes to visit you. And uh, I'm not saying this to uh, for anybody to feel sorry for me, but it's just the the way of it, the facts of life. And um, so anyway, all that to say, I needed I needed to go somewhere. And I was able to do that through the Innocence Abroad. Mark Twain <laughs> is such a gifted writer, mm-hmm. and uh, he has a knack for describing all these foreign places that he went to. It's a it's the account of him and I don't know fifty or sixty other passengers going out on this pleasure cruise and touring through uh, Spain and Italy and France and. Uh, Jerusalem, and so that was just really fun. Uh, I love the way it starts <laughs> off at the beginning, how uh, that you know everybody has in mind that they're gonna sail off into into the sunset, and it's gonna be romantic nights, dancing the night away, and then the day that they that dawns for them to head out on their pleasure cruise, it's damp and raining and <laughs> the flags limp uh dro- they droop limply and uh even the cannon fire that sets off is just kind of uh, it- it's all so feeble and it's just this pathetic exit on what's supposed to be a pleasure cruise it was so funny there were a bunch <laughs> of laugh out loud moments in this book and uh i i don't laugh at just anything it's got to be pretty good to make me laugh out loud. So uh, this is a really good book. I think <laughs> everybody would enjoy reading it. I highly recommend it. The Innocence Abroad by Mark Twain. Nice. I I do remember you really liking the excerpt we read in college. So I, I'm glad you got to read the whole thing. I'm not surprised that's your favorite. I'll read that one sometime. All right. Well, why don't we do some some wrap-up of the other books that we read. See if there's anything of note that you want to mention. I will mention uh, War in Heaven by Charles Williams. I just missed making onto the list The Moon is a Harsh Mistress by Heinlein. Uh, Fahrenheit 451 is a book I reread this year, as well as The Ladies of Grace Adieu and other stories. I don't like that book. I liked it a lot better than the first time I read it. Uh, It was a four-star four-star book for me and uh, some of the ones that i liked it's a short story collection and some of the ones i didn't like as much previously i liked better and and vice versa as well so it's interesting uh the life cycle of software objects by ted chang he's the one that did stories of your life and others yeah so this is another one where uh, it's kind of a novella about the uh sort of um like an advanced tamagotchi or or uh, online video game artificial intelligence pets basically and so um he always does interesting things with that kind of stuff so i think it does it for me for books were there any other honorable mentions or other books that you wanted to mention well it's not an honorable book so i don't know that i can quite say it's an honorable mention but i did read i read a few other books and they're going to be 
reserved for our stinger, of course, yep. as is tradition. But uh, one that I'm not going to mention in the stinger is Bram Stoker's Lair of the White Worm, <laughs> which was a two-star read for me. It's a pretty awful book. It's uh, I I guess he'd had a stroke before he wrote this book, I think, or maybe while he was yeah. writing it. Anyway, uh, the master of horror that wrote Dracula did not deliver with this book. And I read it for uh, the Bad Book Podcast, 372 pages. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I felt a little more forgiving of it than than the uh, podcasters did. And <laughs> I actually kind of enjoyed this book, maybe because the previous book that I had read for that podcast was just so awful <laughs> that this, by comparison, seemed okay. Uh, but, I mean, it, it, it was a really bad book, but I, I didn't mind it as much, so I gave it a generous two-star rating. Nice. <laughs> All right. Well, I did look up the narrator for The Terror. It's Tom Selwood. She's only done six books on Audible, so not a not a prolific. But he was good. Narrator for some reason. Yeah. Yeah, I thought he was really good. Okay. Well, still can't leave comments on our website with the new design. I'll try and get that up this year, but you can send us an email, tto at coser.us, and uh, we did let us get- know. Sorry, I was just going to say, we did get a little bit of feedback from our friend Josh, said uh, yeah. he's really glad that we're back. So, thanks, Josh. Yeah. We've missed it. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Josh. And uh, you two should write in, tto at coser.us. Let us know what books you're reading or what books you've read recently. Uh, we still got a little bit of room. For our 2020 reading goals, if you have a book you'd like to recommend, you may do so. And and I guess we can wrap it up there. And we're gonna do top 10 movies from 2019 in a couple weeks. So definitely tune back in for that. Until then, I'm Brian Kozer. I'm Melissa Kozer. And you've been listening to 10 to 1. All right, well, why don't we start off? You can do some of your stats. I kind of did mine as we were going. I don't know that I mentioned Seven Eves was my longest book of the year, 880 pages. But that was about it for me. All right, well, my longest book was 960 pages. That was The Food Lab. Ah, yeah. My shortest book was a mere 107 pages. It was also my dumbest book, which we'll get to in a minute. Uh, the most popular book I read last year, most people that have read it, was Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar mm. Children. Yep. My least popular was Rocking Ordinary. Okay. Yeah, my least popular was Trucking Through Time. The highest rated on Goodreads was Rocking Ordinary, surprisingly. Huh. Okay. Uh, my highest rated, Refactoring UI. It's a technical book. It was fine. There's a lot of stuff I already knew, but there's some good in- good info. They don't show what the lowest rated was. No. That's a shame. (laughs) All right. On to our favorite part. Right. Our least favorite book of the year and our most disappointing book of the year. Let's do most disappointing first. 
Okay. okay. So for me, that's a book called Blood of the Heroes. I don't remember this one. What is this? This is a book by Steve White, and it's uh, ancient Greek mythology and time travel, and both of those things get my blood racing, and I get all excited, and I love those concepts, and it was just kind of disappointing. It felt like uh, Steve White had really done a lot of research about this one geographical location uh, on the map, and like that, maybe that's what he did his doctoral thesis on. And so there was a lot of description of the topographic topography uh, in this region and how mm-hmm. it used to be back in the day. And uh, it felt like he tried to craft a story around that, and it was. It was just a so-so story, and I was I was really disappointed by it. Uh, I was I was all set for a you know doesn't have to be anything great, just a fun fantasy adventure about time traveling back to the time when uh, you know the ancient Greeks lived, and it turns out that. Uh, their myths and legends about the, the their gods and heroes. Mm-hmm. There's actually truth to the legends, and it's just not just random stories that they made up. And uh, these people actually actually existed, and it was just kind of a meh story. Sure. So that was too bad. Okay, I gave it three stars because it's just middle of the road. It's it's neither good nor bad. It's just it's there. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I'll mention two here. The most popular book I read this year was The Name of the Wind by Patrick Rothfuss. A lot of people really, really like this book. And um, it was good. Uh, Three and a half stars I gave it. So I guess that's still good. But the more that I think about it, the probably a little bit lower that it goes. And there's definitely some problems in the middle section. Uh, definitely some Ernest Klein tendencies of sort of like fan fiction... Uh, for example, uh, the the kind of fan fiction of uh, the kid is in school and he makes some remark to the teacher and the teacher says, well, if you're so smart, why don't you come up and teach the class? And then he goes up and he teaches the class better than the teacher could have and everyone claps. And uh, that kind of That's a story that sure that yeah. happened kind of thing. So... That comes up a few times, and there's definitely some some Mary Sue, uh, Gary Stu tendencies of just he's good at everything, and uh, he doesn't he doesn't realize it because he thinks he's awkward among women, but women love him, all women love him, and etc. That kind of thing. But uh, I mean, there's it's well written, and there's interesting things, and I like the first part of it especially, but yeah, just. Uh, Ends up being, you know, three three and a half is still seven out of ten. There's definitely some flaws in it. Uh, but my actual most disappointing book is a book that I've had on my list for a long time called The Book of Strange New Things. And it's basically a Christian missionary to an alien planet. Which is a really good setup. And there's some really interesting things in it. And I think it would have been a really good short story. Um, 
because most of my complaints with it, it, it ends up being a two and a half stars for me. Most of my complaints about it are that's just way too long uh, for what it is. It should have been a third of as long, something like that. It's like 500 pages. It should have been 150 pages probably. Uh. And I'll go ahead and spoil it because I'm not recommending it. So if you don't want to hear about the book of strange new things, you can go ahead and turn off the podcast, but or fast forward a minute, but, uh, it's a really good twist. So what the, the guy gets to the, the plot is the guy gets to the alien planet. He's a Christian and all the aliens are really accepting of Christianity. And they, uh, it turns out that they cannot heal at all. If they get even a bruise, they're just, they have that bruise for the rest of their lives. Or if, um, you know, if they start bleeding, then they're going to die. And so they think that uh, humans that can get hurt and heal are able to do that because they're Christians and so that it's a miracle that God is doing to heal humans. So that's why they're very accepting of, of Christianity. And then that, uh, that missionary becomes sort of like this Christ-like figure and... Uh, you know, it, it avoids the cliches like you kind of expect the aliens. They're kind of creepy and mysterious and you think, okay, they're going to end up being uh, monsters and, and evil or or whatever. But uh, or maybe it goes down the route of the corporation is trying to exploit the natives. It doesn't go into that either. Um, so those are done well. But then um, the the store, the main point of the story is that. Um, eventually, uh, the missionary Peter and his wife, um, lose their faith and aren't Christian anymore, which, uh, obviously I'm a Christian, so that can be, you could say that I just don't like that because, um, you know, because I'm a Christian, but, uh, and I thought about that. I considered it, but I liked, uh, Ted Chang's hell is the absence of God. Which I did is, not like that which, one. Yeah, which you didn't because, like. Probably because I'm a Christian. Probably. But. Which is, uh, I mean, it's a, kind of an anti-religious short story. Um, but I like that one. This one, how this one just didn't ring true. Uh, what en- His wife ends up, there's a lot of bad things. So things start to go downhill when he leaves to go be missionary to the aliens. She has to stay on the earth. And it's tough, you know, she, uh, there's like food shortages and a lot of people are in the hospital because of natural disasters and things like that. But then basically her cat dies and she, uh, then is not, she doesn't believe in God anymore because her cat dies, which yeah, is kind of, it could have been done better, right? Um, you know, it could have been, uh, and then his is even more abrupt and really ambiguous you never really see why he's he doesn't believe anymore um so there there just doesn't seem to be a good reason for him to not not believe anymore but uh yeah definitely could have been cut in half and been a pretty solid story uh, maybe added a, a better reason for them to to lose their faith uh, that could be an interesting story um especially because the aliens even at the end are are still believers so it's uh it's interesting but pretty disappointing especially because i'd had it on my list for for quite a while missionary to the aliens seems like a a pretty good setup yeah 
I like the idea of it. So, yeah. Um, yep. So, a little disappointing. Book of Strange New Things. You want to talk about your least favorite book of the year now? Yeah, here we go. Actually, let me just go ahead and say mine oh, is... here we don't go. ...is Tech War, which was another 372 pages. Technically, I guess, Trucking Through Time would be the worst book I read. But my least favorite was Tech War. But again, there were some fun things in this uh, this William Shatner ghost-written book. And it was fun hearing the podcast make fun of it, so... Um, yeah, but it's a one star. It's not a great book. I don't have a lot to talk about it though, so I'll let you finish it up with yours. All right. Well, my worst book of the year was another one that I read for the 372 podcast. Okay. Uh, which I think we're gonna set that on hold after I finish the current book that I'm on. I don't need uh, to keep up with the podcast. Yeah. I'll probably, I'll probably still, uh, well, check in from time to time. But yeah. yeah. We're not going to keep on reading. At least not this year. We're not going to read bad books. Uh, we'll see. Only good books. Maybe. I might still I'm, read one or two from the I'm podcast. only reading good books this year. I want to have a lot of good to choose from. Anyway, so I feel that I'm pretty generous when it comes to rating. Uh, I'm certainly, I'd say, a lot more generous than you are. And okay. then when it comes to books... If it gets a one star, it means I really hated this book. This is a bad book. And there have been some some pretty lame books like Lair of the White Worm. I gave that two stars. This is a one star book, though. And it's the Forensic Certified Public uh, Accountant <laughs> and the Cremated 64 Squares Financial Statements. First of all, that's just a stupid, stupid title. Okay, if you're going to have a really long title... It's got to be something interesting and attention-grabbing. Like, what's that one? The the girl who circumnavigated the globe and... Girl who circumnavigated fairyland in a ship of her own design, I believe. Of her own making, making maybe. Maybe. Um, but yeah, that one's, got, that one's got a lot of picturesque stuff going on there. But this one is just so dumb. You can't start off with a forensic certified accountant. And by the way, that phrase, forensic certified ac accountant, uh, you and it are going to be best friends or worst enemies, actually, by the time you're done reading this book. Because this guy, uh, Dwight David Thrash, who wrote the book, uh, that is the defining moment of his life was when he became a forensic certified public accountant. And so he decided he was going to write about it. And he has, he is not a writer. He is probably a nice guy, I guess, but he needs to be slapped forever thinking he could try to write. Uh, I, I have, I hated, hated, hated this book. Hmm. And uh, one of the reasons I really disliked it is that so much of the book is he, he copy pasted uh, paragraphs of it. And then uh, it, it just felt like he was trying to reach a certain word limit. Like, you know how in college your teachers will tell you, okay, you have to write a thousand page paper about this topic. I mean, thousand thousand word paper. And, you know, inevitably you run out of stuff that you want to say. So you just start fluffing the paper and looking for ways to... Uh, instead of say two words about it, you'll say 20 words about it and, uh, about this particular aspect. And that, it, that is a lot of what 
I felt happened in this book. He was just trying to reach a certain word count. And that's bad writing. And then especially when you can clearly see that he copy-pasted because in the original paragraph, he had uh, grammatical errors. And you see the same grammatical errors occurring in the exact same stinking spot in that sent that that paragraph the rest of the book it's so annoying and so enraging there are so many times i wanted to hurl this book across the room it it ended up i think being a favorite kind of a sort of a a dumb pet uh that you kind of look down on with love you you enjoy kicking it around but you still kind of love it anyway uh style of book for the people on the podcast, but I just hated this book. Such a waste of time. Ben DeBono rated it five stars. Yeah. The Iliad of terrible books. Yeah, for him, it was another, it was his trucking through time that mm-hmm. so bad it went through good and came out bad again. And A so lot of forth. people thought that. Yeah, right? no, I, I absolutely hated this one. Yeah, I didn't actually read this one, but I do look at it fondly. Maybe because I didn't actually read it. Yeah. I got so frustrated with it. I think I think the greatest sin was just the copy-paste. I could have forgiven the dumb names, the dumb plot, the useless information that adds nothing to the plot, but it was the copy-paste. And over and over, he refers to him. He can't just say, I, Titus Uno, uh, he, or myself. He always has to say, I, Titus Uno, and then he adds his string of titles, Forensic Certified Public Accountant. Uh, no, it's Certified Public Accountant, Forensic Certified Public Accountant, uh, Certified Global Management. Global, man- global yeah. Charter Management Accountant. Yeah, something like that. And it's just over and over, and, and uh, it just really bothered me. <laughs> the editor in me wanted to... Wanted to snip so much out of this book, this manifesto, as it were. And so, anyway, I feel a little better now that I've ranted about it. I've got another rant on Goodreads. Go check that out if you want. Hmm. Okay. Well, I think we should play ourselves out with the great Stan Rogers Northwest Passage in honor of my favorite book of the year, The Terror. Called by some the alternate national anthem of Canada. Ah, for just one time, I would take the Northwest Passage to find the hand of Franklin reaching for the Beaufort Sea, tracing one warm line through a land so wide and savage. And make a Northwest Passage to the sea.